Amen, and good morning. My prayer is that with a heart of gratitude that will open our minds and our hearts to hear from the Lord this morning as we open his word. Have you ever had a moment in your life that instantly changed your perspective? I'm not talking about just finding out information you did not know. Like the moment you found out that Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana was the same person. And your mind was blown. You're like, how could this be, you know? I'm talking about something that rocks you to your core. Something that not only changes your perspective, but maybe changes your direction. I can think of a number of things in my life. Uh, A number of times that this has happened. One in particular, when I was a child, a moment that shook me that really rocked me to my core was a time that I walked in on my parents and they were, well, I have a picture here. They were wrapping Christmas gifts and I was shook. You know, I I didn't know that parents wrapped some of the gifts. You know, I did not know that. This was something that really shook me. Well, this morning, I want us to look at a story of Simon Peter, and a defining moment. In fact, there were three defining moments in his life that all happened in one story. It was a a moment where he not only had an aha moment, but, but it was a time where his whole future was redirected. It, it was changed by this defining moment. Often I speak to people and they say, Trip, I just need a little clarity in my life. I need a little direction. I, I want to serve the Lord. I, I, I want to uh, experience his best for my life. I just don't know where to begin. Today's story will give us a great place to begin. Whether you are not yet a follower of Jesus or perhaps you are, but you just need some clarity. You need some clarity in your relationships. You need some clarity in your career Maybe you just need a little perspective on your life. In Luke chapter 5, I would love to preach for you a sermon simply called Defining Moments. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you would turn with me to it. This is a story that is often referred to as the great catch or the first disciples And it's a moment that would change the course of Peter's life. Let's begin in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, referring to Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus had begun his earthly ministry. And Jesus had begun to do some things that garnered a lot of attention. Turning water to wine. Healing people who were lame. The word had gotten out about Jesus, and as you can imagine with the fame and notoriety of the things he was saying and the things he was doing, great crowds began to follow Jesus. 
Everywhere he went, he would find himself with a crowd pressed around him. On this day, he is by beside the lake Gennesaret, also referred to as Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he walks up on this lake and the crowds are pressing in around him. And what he sees is two empty boats. And beside those boats are fishermen who we are told had been out all night on those boats fishing. The fishing was done. They had no success. And they're washing their nets, signifying that the work day or work night for them was, was over with. And Jesus walks up on one of the boats. It happened to be Simon Peter's boat. And he said, hey, can we push out just a little bit on the boat? Now, this was not uncommon with a great crowd pressing around him. It was not unusual for Jesus to use the acoustics of the water to be able to amplify the sound and speak to the great crowd. So he gets in Peter's boat and says, hey, let, let's push out a little bit. And Jesus began to teach. Now, it's important for us to note here that this was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Back in John chapter 1, we see that Peter had already met Jesus. And in fact, when he first met Jesus, right from the get-go, Jesus says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to redefine your identity. How about that for a meeting? We see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus had visited Peter's house and had healed his mother-in-law. We know that Peter and, and Andrew and, and James and John, we know that they had all met Jesus. And in fact, they probably would have considered themselves followers of Jesus, although they had not yet fully understood or bought into the mission. Think of it this way, social media today. Had a student tell me, I've got 3,000 followers. Really? 3,000 followers? You don't have 3,000 followers. You have 3,000 people that got bored and clicked the button one day. They probably don't know a ton about you. They're certainly not devoted to you. You certainly don't have 3,000 people that would forsake everything to follow you. So in today's world, the idea of a follower has become pretty watered down. Well, Peter was a follower of Jesus. He was acquainted with Jesus. He would tell you, oh, no, I'm, I, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm, I'm following Jesus. But what we're about to see in this story right here is he had not yet understood what it meant to be a true follower of Jesus. In verse 4, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Jesus finishes speaking and he says, hey Pete, how about we push out a little further? Let's go into the deeper water and your nets that you just got through cleaning from fishing all night, I want you to throw them back out. Now, this was a strange request for a couple reasons. Number one, the fishing was over with, wasn't successful. But number two, in, in this day and in this location, you would fish at night in shallow water. What does Jesus say to the professional fishermen? He says, what you need to do, I want you to push out into deep water, and I want you to throw your nets, your clean nets, I want you to throw them back out. 
say, very strange request. And Peter immediately, he comes back to Jesus and, and notice what he says. Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and we took nothing. Now, it's important here to realize that Peter referred to Jesus as master. He says, master, we have toiled all night. Now, the Greek word for master here is epistatus, is a respectful title of one in authority, but not an affirmation of deity. In other words, what Peter is saying here, with all due respect, with, with all due respect, and then we hear his excuses come right here. He says, we have toiled, we have worked hard all night, and we have not caught anything. Jesus, in case you didn't realize what was going on, you're too busy preaching while we're cleaning the nets. With all due respect, I'm the professional fisherman here. You're the preacher. With, with all due respect, what he's saying here is, how about Jesus, how about you stick to the preaching? Ain't your dad a carpenter? Well, guess what? This is our family business. We're fishermen, and we know how to fish. With all due respect, Jesus, how about you stick to the preaching and let me stick to the fishing? But then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Has the Lord ever asked you to do something that did not make sense? It, it, it just didn't make sense. It was not practical. You felt like the Lord maybe impressed on your heart to do something, maybe regarding a relationship, maybe regarding a business transaction, maybe involving a move with your family. You feel like God has maybe impressed on your heart, hey, I really want you to do this. Maybe a calling on your life to ministry. Maybe, maybe a, um, a calling to be very generous with your resources. God has called you to do something and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. That's what Peter's faced with right here. He's saying, with all due respect, you crazy Jesus. This makes no sense at all. He says, but... At your word, out of respect for you, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it. There's been a number of times in my life where I feel like the Lord has called me or asked me to do something that was not comfortable. Something that did not make a whole lot of sense. Something that I feel like any rational person would not do this. I'm not proud to admit that there are many times I feel like the Lord has called me to do something and I've just said no to it. God, this, maybe I'm hearing you wrong. This, this just doesn't make sense. Trip, I want you to speak to this person. Trip, I want you to go here. I want you to do that. Nah, and I find myself making excuses and not doing it. Sometimes the Lord's asking me to do something and it makes no sense and I try to wrestle away excuses, one of those such moments, a defining moment in my life, January the 12th, 2010. All the way on my way to work, I'd heard on the radio about a terrible earthquake in Haiti. And I pulled up to my office and I uh, opened my laptop and I'm going to begin my work day. 
and the news came up. And immediately I'm faced with images like this image right here. And I see this young man who likely had been pulled for some rubble. Someone had saved his life and I find myself captivated by him saying, what is going to happen to this child next? I'm hearing stories of thousands of children and adults who are trapped, who have lost loved ones, who had lost every earthly possession. And I find myself even moved by some very graphic images to begin to pray for them. Heartbroken, my prayer was, God, would you send somebody? Would you send someone to help them? Would you send someone to help this child and his family? Would you send somebody? And in that moment, I, I can't fully explain it other than very clearly, very strongly, I felt the Lord was speaking to me and said, Tripp, why do you always pray for other people to go? Why is your prayer not, God, how would you want to use me in this situation right here? God, do you want to use me or maybe do you want to use some of my resources or efforts to do something here? Why do you always pray that I send someone else? And I found myself at my desk wrestling with the Lord. I felt like Moses at the burning bush where God said, hey, Moses, I got a plan for your life. This is going to sound crazy, but here's what I want you to do. And Moses immediately began to make excuses. That's what I did that day. God, this makes no sense. I've never been to Haiti. I don't know where Haiti is. And if I were to get to Haiti, what could I possibly do for this child right here? That was a defining moment for me as I wrestled with the Lord. Am I going to be obedient to him even though it doesn't make sense? Am I going to trust him? Or am I going to excuse myself out of whatever God is trying to do here? In that moment, I had a decision to make. Am I going to be an excuse maker or am I going to be a difference maker? Am I going to trust God only with my salvation or am I going to trust God with everything on his agenda for my life? And in that moment, I say, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to get to Haiti. I don't know what I'm going to do. But God, I'm clearly hearing you speak to me and you're saying go. So God, I'm going to surrender to that. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to go. I don't have time to share the whole story with you all. But within three days, I'm standing in Haiti. And what transpired over the next weeks in Haiti would change the course of my life. It, it would change the course and the direction of my life the first defining moment for Peter is when he responds in obedience to Jesus and when he responds in obedience look at the result in verse 6 and when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What's happening right here? 
Against the backdrop of their failure, God shows them what can happen as they trust him. Don't miss this. When God directs our work, we see results. When God directs our work, we see results. He had tried all night in his own effort, nothing. At the word of Jesus, he saw results. There are people here this morning, and they're saying, Trip, I'm not seeing results in my relationships. I'm not seeing results in my business. I'm not seeing results in my family. The question is, are you doing it God's way, or are you doing it your way? Are you following God's agenda? Are you acknowledging him? Are you putting him first? Are you saying, God, what do you want to do in my family? How do you want to use my business? God, how are you wanting to direct me today? Because when God directs our work, we always see results. God's already shown in this story that he's all-knowing. He knew where the fish were, and he's all-powerful. He calls them to jump into that net. Y'all, the word of God can be trusted. That's why we make this the biggest deal here at Church of the Mill. Because the word of God can be trusted. I heard a pastor say one time, what do you do when you get sick? Well, when I get sick, I'm usually stubborn for two or three days. Till I finally give in and I go and I see a doctor. And the doctor pokes and prods and he he looks at things and he thinks for a minute. And then typically, he'll get out or she will get out a pad of paper and they will scratch something that is highly illegible on that piece of paper. And what I do time after time, I take the paper that I cannot read, I do not understand, and I take that paper to someone else from someone I see once or twice a year for 10 minutes to someone else I do not know personally, but they are a pharmacist, and I hand them a piece of paper, and they look at it, and they try to figure out what it says, and then sometime later, They count out some pills and they put it in a bottle and they write some stuff on the bottle I still do not understand. And they say, put three of these inside your body every day till they run out. And you know what I do? I do it. I do it. Now, some people would say that's blind faith. It's not blind faith. Why? Because I'm putting my trust in the credentials of that doctor. I'm putting my trust in the credentials of that pharmacist to tell me what I don't know and need to hear. See, what I'm trusting in is the degree that that doctor earns. See, behind his or her name is MD, and I put my trust in that. Why in the world would I not trust the one who behind his name is L-O-R-D? Some people say, well, Trip, I have a trust issue. You don't have a trust issue. You trust your mechanic. You trust your doctor. There's a lot of people you trust. You, you, you don't have a trust issue. You have a perspective issue. Because, see, the reality is the only one who really has the authority to speak truth in our life is the creator of life. 
Don't miss this. If anyone is qualified to speak truth into your life, it's the one who created you. It's the one who knows everything about you and everything about life. The question is, do we trust him? This is why we hold the word of God so high. As Peter responds in obedience, you know what he realizes? He, he realizes what Paul penned in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or even imagine. Well, let's look at what happens next in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. I bet they were. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Notice what Peter calls Jesus here. He originally had referred to him as master, clearly a term of respect. But now he calls Jesus Lord. The Greek word translated Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. It comes from the word kurios, which means supremacy. Y'all, at this moment, Peter is seeing Jesus for the first time for who he really is. He realizes the one that can see the depths of that lake can see the depths of his heart. And how does he respond to this realization of who he's standing in front of? He changes his response from one of respect to one of lordship. And what does he do? He falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. In realizing who Jesus was, he falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. In this moment, he takes his eyes off of the blessing and puts it on the blessor. Think about this. A few seconds before this was likely the most fantastic day professionally Peter had ever experienced. Not just a full net, not just one boat sinking, but two boatfuls of fish. To say this was likely the most success professionally he had ever experienced would be an understatement. And as everyone is freaking out about the catch of fish, something immediately draws his eyes off of the catch and puts them on Jesus. What was it? Is realizing that he is standing in front of God. He takes his eyes off of the catch and he puts them on Jesus. And what is his only appropriate response is to fall on his face, to fall on his knees at the feet of Jesus. Yo, is there really any other response when we come face to face with God? In this moment, he realizes who he was in light of who God was, and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus, and we're about to see this changes everything. 
how would our lives be different? If we realize that worship is not just about coming to church once a week and singing, but we lived with a heart and a mind and a reality of worship every day. What if every day we woke up and we got on our knees and said, God, I want to take my rightful place before you. You are King Jesus and I am not. I was created for your purposes and I want to fulfill those purposes today. What would this place look like if men and fathers and husbands began their day if women and mothers and wives and business people and teachers and doctors, we began every day on our knees before God and we said, we realize you are God and we are not, what would it change? It would change everything. So, so he, he falls down. And I know the song had not been written, but I imagine Peter singing I throw up my hands. All that I have is a hallelujah. All that he had in that moment was a Lord. But then he says something interesting. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In the terror of realizing his sinfulness, he wants to get away from the Lord. He says, I am sinful, you are holy. He knows in that moment, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with me. He's terrified. He says, get away from me. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus says, don't be afraid. with an expectation that we can't be together here, with a fear of what is about to happen, Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm not gonna get away. He says, don't be afraid. He pulls him in. I invite people to church all the time. I was like, man, you gotta come check out what's happening at Church at the Mill. The people are so amazing. Their ministries are fantastic. You gotta come check it out. Often, I hear people say things like, well, you don't want me in your church. Why's that? Because as soon as I walk in, lightning might hit the building. And you know what I say? You don't know my Jesus. You don't know my Jesus. Because you can come into this place or any place in the presence of God and you can bring your guilt, you can bring your shame, you can bring your baggage, you can bring your fear, you can bring your insecurity, and you don't have to fear that he's going to say, get away from me. You can hear him say, don't be afraid. And in this moment, Peter not only hears Jesus, his Lord, say, don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm not going to cast you away. He says to him, from now on, you will be catching men. He not only says, you don't have to run away from me in fear. You're not only accepted and loved in my presence. I want to use you. Y'all, this is the beauty of repentance. Repentance is a place where we exchange our sin for God's grace. Sometimes we, we view repentance as an ugly thing. 
And it, it's a beautiful thing. Don't miss this. Repentance is responding to an invitation to experience God's best. Repentance should be celebrated. When someone recognizes their sin and they recognize the love of God, the holiness of God, the acceptance of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, that is not an ugly thing. That is a beautiful thing. That we can bring all of that in front of him and we can say, here it is. And he can say, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're loved. Oh, and by the way, I want to redefine your life and I want to use you. In this moment, Peter responds to an invitation to experience God's very best. His life was changed when he got Jesus right. If you have a, a phone that has a camera app on it, I'm sure most of you do, pull that out real quick for me. I want you to open your camera app here. If you want to sneak a selfie, no one's going to judge you. There are so many things I do not understand about this phone right here. I know it costs a lot of money, and I know I got to sign a contract, and I pay for it for the next 30 years. But I also know I can download some really cool apps on this thing, and I hit buttons and cool stuff happens. That's my knowledge of this right here. But here's one thing I know about this camera app. When you open this camera app, you may not understand how it works. I certainly don't understand how the lenses work. I don't understand how the light settings work. I have no clue what happens inside of this device. But here is one thing at the basic level I have understood, I have learned about this camera app. I've got one job. What's my one job? To get the right thing in focus. And when I get the right thing in focus and I hit the screen and it focuses on it, all I do is hit a button and things happen that I don't understand from there. Let's try this together. Don't be weird taking pictures of your neighbors. But point your camera at the screen right there. Tap on the word Jesus and watch your phone do what you cannot do on your own. Y'all, we, we understand this concept when it comes to our phone. But sometimes we forget that our lives are designed the same way. The most important thing we can do is get the right thing in focus. And when we have Jesus in focus in our life, guess what? The Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside of believers, he can do things that we don't understand. He can work in ways that we will never comprehend. He will do things that we will never even see. But we can trust him. Why? Because our lives were designed that if we put him first, if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, we can trust that he will direct our paths. Y'all, it is all about Jesus. Peter understood that and it changed everything. He understood what Paul would write. In Romans eleven thirty six, from him and through him and for him are all thanks to him be the glory forever. When he got Jesus right, it changed everything. And then what happened? Last verse here, verse 11. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And they followed Jesus. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed Jesus. The third defining moment for Peter is he drops his nets and he allowed Jesus to direct his life. This response led Peter to forsake all to follow Christ. It shifted the view of his future, his career, his dreams. He left everything. Man, so many of us probably in this moment would have tried to sign Jesus up for our plans. I imagine I would have been like, whoa, did y'all see that catch? Hey, Jesus, let's talk about this. Got a little fishing business going on. Mike can cut you in as a partner on it. Maybe we could get a little something going here. Peter, luckily, he didn't try to work Jesus into his agenda. What did he do? He dropped his nets. He allowed Jesus to redefine the agenda. Y'all, God doesn't want a place in our hearts. He wants all of it. God doesn't want us to just say, here's my hopes and, and dreams, and, and God, if there's somehow you could use that, cool. He wants us to say, God, what do you want from me? In that moment, we see that Peter went from having an occupation. Look up that word. It means to occupy space. How many people have jobs that occupy space? I don't know. I just go, show up, push some buttons, go home, send me a check every couple weeks. Works out okay, I guess. He went from having an occupation to a vocation, which means a calling. And in this moment, Peter drops his nets. What's he doing in that moment? He's given up his family business. He's given up everything he's ever known. He's letting go of that which defined him. And he says, I'm going to let you redefine my life. What is it in your life that you're holding on to? Well, Tripp, I have dreams. I have passions. Great. God may want to use those. But how are you letting him use those? For some of you, God may want to redefine your life. He may want to redefine your future, your next steps, your dreams, your passions. In the past two weeks, I've had a meal with two different men in the church. Both of them said, Trip, I just feel like there's more. I feel like God wants me to do more. I don't know what it is. I'm praying about it. Is it a call to ministry? Is it a call? I don't know what it is. And in working with them, you know what? I think both of them are in two different but equally obedient areas right now. One is saying, I, I don't know that I need to give up my job, his very successful job. But you know what? God may want to leverage my successful business more for the kingdom. And I want to be obedient to him in that. You know what the other one said? I feel like God is calling me to vocational ministry. And it makes no sense. I have a very successful career. Man, I should have gone to school for ministry years ago. Uh, is it too late? Y'all, it is never too late to be obedient to God's call on your life. And for him, he's at the point, the next step of obedience for him is likely to give up his successful career and say, God, how do I walk out what you really want me doing in my life? I don't know what it looks like for you. 
But I know that God wants you to have a vocation, not an occupation. I know that there needs to be a sense of calling in everything that you do. If you're a teacher, God wants to use that in education for his glory. If you're in construction, how can God use your faith on that job site? If you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a businessman, the question is, God, how am I releasing what I'm holding on to so that you can do what only you can do and want to do in my life? See, for Peter, everything changed that day. Today, like Peter, You can have a defining moment in your life. When Peter walked off the beach that day, his colors were clear. There was no doubt who he was following. People say, Trev, why, why are you so passionate about working with young people? Because this world needs a generation whose colors are clear for Jesus. This world needs a generation that follows Jesus every day, not just some days. This world needs a generation that understands this right here is the only thing you can build your life on and you can count on it. This world needs a generation that understands when God directs our work, we will see results. This world needs a generation whose colors are clear. What this generation needs is moms and dads whose colors are clear. Moms and dads who are not afraid to worship in their home. Moms and dads who will say, I don't know what this looks like, but I feel like God is calling us to do some hard things. And y'all, if we can trust him with our salvation, we can trust him with this next step. Now what this generation needs is families that are being obedient, that are acknowledging Jesus for who he really is and who together are dropping their nets and allowing Jesus to define their life and their future. Don't miss this last point. As we acknowledge Jesus for who he is and we respond in obedience to him, we discover God's best for our lives. Are you a follower of Jesus? I don't, I don't mean from afar. I don't mean a casual dabbler or observer. Has there been a time where you've acknowledged that he is king of kings and lord of lords and you brought your sin to him and your shame to him? And you've said, here it is, God. In this moment, I, I repent. I confess my sins. I, I want to leave them here. And in this moment, I want to ask you to step onto the throne of my heart. And I want you to be my Lord. Not just someone I respect. Not just someone I tip my hat to. Not just someone I will acknowledge once a week. I want you to be Lord. If you've never done that, what would keep you today from coming to the one who knows you most and loves you most and saying, 
God, I don't, I don't have a trust issue. I trust in a lot of things that are crazy. I got a perspective issue because I've been getting you wrong. You are God. You are King Jesus. And here is my heart. What would keep you from experiencing God's best today? If you've done that before, is that a consistent posture in your life? Do you have a consistent posture of worship? A consistent posture of surrender every single day? And then last question. What nets are keeping you from experiencing God's best in your life? Is it the net of bitterness and you need to forgive someone or seek forgiveness and you refuse to do it? Is it a net of trust and God's calling you to do something hard but you just don't want to? Is it a net of holding on to a dream or a desire when God's saying, I want to redefine that? Maybe dropping your net today is saying, God, how do you want to use my business for your glory? God, how do you want to use my resources for your glory? I don't own it. It's, it's all yours. How do you want to use my stuff? How do you want to use my time for your glory? Maybe God is calling some of you into, like this other guy I met with, into full-time vocational ministry and you know it. You just don't want to say it out loud because it's kind of crazy. What do you need to drop in order to experience God's best today? I want you to bow your heads with me. We're going to sing another song in just a moment. And as we sing this song, I want to ask you to imagine like Peter, you are sitting face to face with Jesus. And the question is, how do you respond? Do you respond in humility? Do you respond in surrender? Or do you simply tip your cap and say, respect, I got respect. Face to face in his presence, how do you respond to him this morning? If you've never given your heart and life to him, do it today. There will be no greater blessing you will experience. If you know what that net is you're holding on to, surrender it today. As we sing, the altar is open. Let me tell you the significance of that. Sometimes we just need the physical space to get on our knees before the Lord. We, we just need to physically take our rightful position even before our heart is fully there, even before our mind is fully there. We just need to say, I know in your presence, I need to be on my knees, on my face before you, your Lord. That's why we opened the altar. Whatever business you need to do, you are face to face with your Savior this morning. How do you respond? God, may you give us the courage to respond with obedience 
and to respond in faith. In Jesus' name.